Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Did you just go away? You're off the scale of your whoop. There it is. No, I've I kept that whoop going for a full 17 seconds like a goddamn adult. Uh, you had it s- at such more. a pitch it didn't even come through my end. I thought you were like That's choking. That's how the, I, I stealthed it. I flew under their radar cover. Uh, that's how I did it. I've been I've been playing a master class game here at Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David, and we are doing David. It again. I'm pissed. Yeah, David. I'm very. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm very upset. I'm very uh, sad. I'm very angry. Uh, I'm a lot of emotions right now. Um, this is coming on the heel. We, we this this will be like in between. I don't know what the fucking episodes release anymore. It's been too fucking long. We recorded a current events episode last week to kind of cover yeah. everything we knew up to date with the current events with uh, the Russia Ukraine conflict, and then uh, now we're here on March the sixth, Sunday, March the sixth, and uh, I'm just gonna tell you my general state of being is fucking pissed off and sad, and I would appreciate. If any piece of factual information could make me feel less pissed off and sad, but I don't think that's okay. going to happen. So let's just jump right into the fucking current events for the week and let's see where we end up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously the, the center of everything is going to be in Ukraine. That's it shouldn't be. I mean, we talk about the Eurocentrism and the ignoring the, you know, bombing in Somalia and Yemen, um, which is the hugest humanitarian crisis out there. Um, and Syria, we, we talk about, you know, focus um, should be on Israel, um, you know, uh, kicking people out of homes in East Jerusalem. Um, focuses should be on some of these ballooning unionization efforts in the United States and the ever-moving goalposts of COVID regulations so that regulations can just be lifted and we're supposed to pretend it's all better um, and start hearing words like endemic, which just means, you know, just like there's capitalist realism, there's people trying to push COVID realism now and and, and hoping everybody's just gotten tired of shit and, and assumed it's here forever. Um, but... It's hard to ignore what's going on in in Ukraine. It just it's just hard. It grabs all the headlines. Um, there's a mess of stuff. There's a mess of tragedy that's very real. So we don't have to hear bullshit gust up. And then there's a mess of propaganda bullshit because imperial war machine, right? Um, you know, if if America didn't want this war, they wouldn't be sanctioning Russia, right? They would be, you know, pulling back support and telling Ukraine, you know, no, you you can't do this instead of trying to funnel in weapons. There was Hillary Clinton explicitly saying that the strategy and I think she would know she I mean, even she's retired from from that kind of stuff. She knows some people explicitly saying the strategy is and she compared it to Afghanistan in the 1980s positively like hooray for the Mujahideen. And we already know Ukraine is just crawling with Nazis. And I think people under reduced like, oh, it's just the Azov battalion as if, you know. Um, uh, Pravi sector, or, or which is right sector, who led the maiden protest, is not full of Nazis and and doesn't use the the Sunderstein as their symbol, right? Um, as if there's not the Adar battalion as well as well as the Azov battalion, as if it doesn't matter what percentage they are, and they're much bigger percentages being advertised. Uh, 
they, Western media can't seem to take a picture of a Ukrainian soldier without finding a Nazi with an obvious Nazi symbol openly there. Um, you know, the uh, Azov and the Adar battalions and, and even uh, right sector are used on the front lines against um, people, especially now in, in Mariupol, um, where things are happening. Um you know, so you can't you can't ignore that, and there's a big propaganda mess war. Um, there's also you know reports uh, that Ukrainian guards. I mean, not not just the racist reports we've we've heard, right? With like not letting you know foreign students through that are non-white and letting Ukrainians right through. Um, but we're also hearing things like not wanting to let people out of you know Mariupol and other fighting areas, like letting so many out because um, uh, there's actually negotiations underway for ceasefire and and a. Uh, what do you call it? humanitarian evacuation zones, right? Humanitarian lanes and things like that, yeah. which don't seem to be being honored. So who gives a fuck? Yeah, um, and and that's the thing, right? Like there's there's talk about Azov, you know, trying to hold people in um, after letting so many through, and and like basically explicitly saying, you know, no, we need some human shields here, um, and be happy we haven't shot you is the kind of language they use. Um, so, you know, there's been reports, and of course, we said this before, there's no clean war, there's no lack of civilian casualties. So comparatively to like, the West, where people are going after civilians, almost just criminally for fun, this has been lower on that, but you're still going to have civilian casualties by accident, you're still going to have soldiers who act out and have a bigoted stance, you know, I, I think even the lower civilian casualties from the beginning of this is not like some directive from Putin, is that he sells the war to the citizens on this is denazification. So they want to target Nazis, and they see you know Ukrainians as, as their brothers and sisters. They're right there, right? Um, and uh, and so you see less of that. But the, the fascist nationalists are in every military, and they're going to find their way to the front lines and start killing civilians, you know, very purposely. Mm-hmm. And and we're starting to get to that stage of the war. <sighs> okay. Let's do a thing we haven't done on Mark's Madness very often, mm-hmm. where Nathan gets to play the role of naive liberal bitch. <laughs> um, okay. Or just a human being in the year 2022, whatever you want sure. to call me, I don't know. How many Nazis have to be in the Ukraine before doing an entire invasion of the Ukraine is worth it? Uh <laughs> Well, I've never believed that it was for denazification. I didn't right? This is, again, it is important. And this is one of the things, you know, this is almost letting the narrative get to you because people come at you. And if you simply do context, if you simply say this isn't as easy as belligerent dictator Putin is expansionist and just went into Ukraine randomly on a whim and and we didn't stop him because we didn't show enough muscle or whatever jingoistic, you know, warmongering bullshit. Right. If you simply say, no, there's more than that. Right. He's he was right when he was talking about NATO. He was right when when, you know, he was talking about uh, America kind of bullying everyone and going back on its agreements. He was right with talking about Ukraine having a Nazi problem and those Nazis specifically. And I, I get to where I guarantee you this is a real factor. Like you can you can minimize it all you want. I guarantee it's a real factor. Nazis have always targeted certain groups, Jews. Roma people, disabled people, gay people, and Slavs and, and Russian speakers, with the exception of, say, you know, the, the Russian nationalist Nazis. And there were collaborationists in Russia in World War II. Every country had collaborationists and partisans. It's just, you know, um, most of the sections of the USSR, of course, were putting forth Red Army as well, and, and partisans were largely communist. Um, but, you know, 
these ones are particularly hell-bent even more than their hatred for Jews and Romas and disabled people and gay people for Russian speakers. And so there was real concern, right? Um, but if it was for denazification, if it was to, you know, protect the Donbass, he would have done it years ago, right? I mean, not only, not only like right at the beginning when this all broke out and he could have. And you could say, well, you know, he, he was trying to negotiate peace. And I, I agree with that. Right. But they were going back on their word back then. You know, as soon as, as soon as Motorola and Givy were assassinated, it was like, why the fuck would you not go in? You know, they're, they're assassinating the leaders of, um, the breakaway republics in the Donbass, the, the military leaders, the, the revolutionaries, right? Especially revolutionaries, the big bravado, um, that Givy was, you know, but this was two years into the war and he never went in there. And now we're eight years in and he goes in. Um, you know, there is a sign of hope though. I mean, there's people in, in, you know, uh, Donetsk and, uh, Luhansk who had been on the front lines, had been fighting, had not been home. And now they're coming home and seeing their families and, and things like that. Right. Cause it's at least secure enough, um, to where it's not, you know, totally defensive. And, and there's some push to, um, taking Mariupol and some of the soldiers can come back off the front line, see their families and gear back up to go out there. Something they haven't been do- able to do in eight years because they've been fighting for their survival. Um, so there is some good there, but of course this is a war, right? And this kills yes. people and, and, and U S is coming very hard with these swift sanctions and that's going to kill a lot more people. And a war um, for what again, a war for what, what are we fighting a war for? Um, well, <laughs> it came the day after Nord Stream 2 was officially put on freeze. So I think Putin was, was pretty pissed off and between feeling threatened by NATO, feeling threatened by the Nazis and wanting to resecure some of his energy stuff because let's face it, he is an imperialist. He went all the way in. I mean, the day before it, it seemed like everything he done, you know, don't like the guy, but everything he done was on the right side through putting tanks in the DPR and LPR. And then once it went up to full-scale invasion, it's like, okay, this is, no, this is unnecessary. There's no reason to do this, right? But again, if you so much as give context, you're saying you love that. You're in for that, right? Correct. And that and, and that's, that's the part that I want to try and kind of get through right now as a communist... Um, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to call myself a leftist, like full-on communist. Yes. Um, I'm despondent i i have no yeah. i'm looking at this as a as a as a conflict that i get to play bullshit mediator in the middle of where i have to be the one giving context for mm-hmm. why this you know here's why zelensky shouldn't be your weird online crush and here's why uh, the you you know the, you know there's been eight years of fighting in the Ukraine and and Putin should feel justifiably concerned because you know he had people shelling him on his border, yeah, and yet the response <laughs> from Putin has yeah. been a full on invasion involving civilian bombings and all the things that we criticize the West for, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to lose the point where I feel any kind of desire well, you should- to keep up this yeah. for for for, for a, uh, this is well, a you're war. Not- yes, it's this a war. This is a but war listen- that doesn't have a justifiable listen. end to it. Listen, listen, you're letting the NATO apologists dictate your brain, and that's 
That's the issue you're running into. And this is why they do. As long as they dictate the narrative and you're on the defensive and you're always debunking and that's important, right? Then it's you're defending, you're defending, you're defending. This is how you get like the tankies. Stalin did nothing wrong, people. Because they've got you on the defensive. They're never even talking about the context for it. You're not doing this to save Putin's face. We fucking hate Putin. His mar- his primary rivalry. There is no cut. Co- Here, here's the part no. I'm having a problem with. And I want you to, I want you okay. to critique this right now. Okay. There is no context that justifies a full-on invasion of but the nobody, Ukraine from Russia. Nobody, nobody has said that. You have to understand that the context makes NATO just as responsible. The United States just as responsible. This doesn't make Putin not responsible, okay? But you you agitate, you back people into what they feel like is a corner. It may not be actually necessary for them to lash out of that corner, right? The back behind them, that corner may not be on fire. They may be able to five back into a corner, but you back them into a corner and they're going to fight and you fucking started that fight, no, that's I, that's the context. And on top of that, you use it to paper over the transphobia issues happening in the United States, uh, the COVID issues happening in the United States, the poverty issues and anti-homelessness issues happening in the United States. But also that's used to paper over and not by you, by by the media. It's no, used to paper over the bombing of Yemen. It's used to paper over the bombing of Somalia. It's used to paper over the bombing of Syria. It's used to paper over the occupation and, and the further annexing of um Palestine. It's used to paper over Red Hill. It's used to. Let's let's be honest right now. Did those need papering over? What paper needed to be done? We've been bombing Yemen for what eight years now? Yeah, seven years now. We've been bombing Somalia for at least two that I can remember years now. And the media in the country that can affect that says says nothing about that. And it's wall-to-wall Ukraine. And it's okay to point that out because those lives matter as much as the Ukrainian lives. 100%. And we we 100%. And and Let's also remember these civilian casualties are not just from Russia invading. Again, we're talking about casualties were already existing. This was already an eight-year war in the Donbass. Yes. 15,000 people died in eight years. That's 2,000 a year, right? That's taking Correct. a country, that's taking a country without America's police shootings and then giving them entire police shootings of America two times over in a very small populace of Russian speakers. Correct. That's a big fucking deal. That's, that's the taking a. should have been a thing that people were talking mm-hmm. about for years. Well, not just that it should have been a thing that people talk about for years. When you're talking about the escalation, right? And this is an escalation and the full-on invasion, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think I think he should have stopped at securing the Donbass, putting the tanks around it. I agree. And, and, and I think he went for this trying to win back public support because the public is – the spring is when you see more protests in, in Russia, right? The protests have not – Started. There will be protests in the spring because he pissed a lot, a lot of people off with his pension cuts. And that might be like last straw communist party actually gains some power. And there's some splits going on the communist party where people are standing correctly on their anti-war line versus more pro-lore nationalistic Russian communist party members. And there's been communist party members that have left the party because they didn't feel like the party and its democratic centralism it preaches was sticking to its anti-war stance it preaches. Right. So there's there's some split going on there, but there are plenty of committed communists in Russia. And I think, you know, with the pensions, with the infrastructure issues, things like that, Putin's facing a lot of pressure and felt like he had to go and win this war, whether that's thinking a war would win the public back or whether that's now that he lost his Nord Stream 2 pipeline, 
right? If he doesn't secure something, if he feels like NATO's pushing him over, he's going to lose everything economically and then lose the public behind that. So I think that's what it is, right? I think, again, he he's letting people die for his own power and popularity um, because he feels insecure with his stuff at home, which is why it went from, you know, um, securing the Donbass to now, but you also still have to remember that the threat was very real, right? They were very much on his border. They were very much talking about, you know, bringing in nukes and making Ukraine part of, of, of NATO. The Azov battalion, the Adar battalion, the, the right sector all fighting in the Donbass. If they win in the Donbass, they start moving into, you know, Crimea. I mean, they, they're after Russian speakers and they are committed neo-Nazis and they will go as far as they think they can go and survive. They would only not go if they think they'd lose a war, right? That was a very, real real threat and it's not like so you're taking these 2000 if this war is producing more than 2000 casualties there i want to break you right there and i apologize but i want to break you right there because i i I feel like this is getting to what you're trying to get to and i want to i want to try and bring you up something else before then okay how is this different than the u.s fighting quote-unquote terrorist ideology in the middle east how many Nazis do you kill before you kill all the Nazis as opposed to just making a bunch of more Nazis that are pissed off at you for I, what you're doing? I say this knowing that, like saying full well, that I don't think Putin truly did this for denazification. But I think Putin is actually targeting the Nazis in this, okay? So Putin did not have the defensive reasons, the real denazification reasons, but I think he is targeting the Nazis. When the United States unleashed that terror on the world, right, under the guise of fighting terrorism, they probably, you know, tried to kill some Al-Qaeda members or whatever along the way, right? But they toppled the governments that were keeping them out of power and left no government infrastructure behind, okay? Russia is not planning to turn Ukraine into a failed state, and on top of that, they are actually targeting the Nazis. It's very different. You, you would have to, to ask if that's different is to assume that the United States was really fighting terror and was really just a mistake. And they were going to topple those governments for I their agree. own, they uh, were to going loot to them and pierce. Governments. I don't see right. any reason to, to loot think that the country is going to actually denazify Ukraine. I see no, nothing no. that says they're going to actually do that. No, but they see Ukraine as a toppled country, right? It's still the poorest, the one that didn't recover from um, the end of the Soviet Union. It's it's full of these Nazis. Um, it's very much controlled by the West. They see it as a toppled country, and they see it as restoring the government, right? And again, that's the thing, right? You had stable countries in these other areas, and they were toppled, and they opened everything up. This was not a stable government. This was this was after you know after the right wing fascists took over. Okay, this was after that effect. You can't welcome in the effect that's already happening. You can make it worse, but the only this, the the signs we have that would that this would make it worse are a measurement of creating the effect, not making it worse, right? Because those were all before that effect. Those were all topping the government and making way for it. Okay, I'm not saying you bomb a dam and it can't make flooding worse. Okay, what I'm saying is. This was not going to somewhere where there was a dam and bombing a dam and going, where the hell did all the water come from? The Nazis had already taken over. There was no stability behind them holding them off that got toppled here. So that's the big difference. Okay. The, this is that a- said, that said, the, the type of war the U.S. wants to fight, where they're welcoming in 
basically mercenaries and vol- and ideological volunteers from around the world and weaponizing them, which is what they did in Afghanistan and Yugoslavia. Um, you know, we remember that the KLA, the Kosovo Liberation Army, those were all just leftover Mujahideen, right? Al Qaeda t- changed their name to Al Qaeda. <laughs> Uh, after the leader ahead of Osama bin Laden died and Osama bin Laden took over in Bosnia Herzegovina in 1989, right? Um, you know, this, this, this is the U.S. trying to do the same thing. And so I can't guarantee that effect wouldn't happen because the U.S. is trying to make it happen by doing the same. The same techniques, and they've already essentially done step one by getting the country overrun by these same Nazis. And, and I mean, who else is going to go fight, right? You're going to get ideologically strong right wing people, uh, Nazis. There's going to be there's going to be Sunner stands all over, <laughs> way more than right sector ever would have put. You know, there's going to be uh, uh, the biggest Stepan Bandera and Waffen SS fans you've ever seen. You know in huge mass coming in here if that's what they're doing they're wanting that and russia can't stop the united states from doing that but russia felt the united states was already doing that and they were in danger and again i think putin acted a little bit out on himself in a not wise way trying to trying to secure his political stances back home too and and that is that is the kind of analysis that I'm I'm looking for when I come here, um, because this is a very confusing time. Uh, it's a very yeah, troubling but, time. But remember, that's another um, thing. That's another thing to defend it, right? Like even if Putin shouldn't have escalated, and even if you saying that it's also NATO's fault, get you as Putin apologist, Putin apologist, Putin apologist, and makes it sound like you know Putin's not responsible. We have to actively combat. That it's okay for Ukraine because when they say it's just like when they say they support the American people, right? They don't support you. They don't give a fuck about you, right? They're supporting like their business uh, interests. Okay, same thing when they say you know support Ukrainian people and stand with Ukraine, and you're you're with the best intentions, putting up little blue and yellow flags and 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 getting the stand with Ukraine thing going around with everybody else. Um, that's garnering support for the U.S. too send in and weaponize these mercenaries and fascist volunteers to try to turn Ukraine into Afghanistan. And so we have to be aware of and push back on that very, very hard. And you can't do that if it's sitting there in, well, it's Putin's fault. Factual. Um, that being said, it doesn't mean that you can't analyze. No, you you can, but this on, is going to be. In, in, go ahead. This is going to be the same thing as so like right now, right? Uh, abortion rights are under attack. We, I mean, let's let's be clear, okay? Oh, very clear. Yes. Okay. Um, Planned Parenthood and trans rights are under attack. Planned Parenthood is yeah. a. It's got CEOs. It's definitely a dem establishment group, right? Um, and and you know there are valid criticisms along those lines, right? Along the way it pushes people in electoral politics, along the way it lobbies, you know, some of the CEOs and the people getting wealthy off it, and and stuff like that, right? Um, you can't, you should be able to have those full on discussions in groups that you can trust to stick with the subject, but any public group, um, whether it is them looking to be animus and push back or them being well-attentioned and generally learning from you. But there are other nine sources. Like if you say, you know, well, Planned Parenthood's not perfect, da, 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 and then they go to other nine sources and like one of them says, you know, Planned Parenthood's the greatest and the other eight say it's, it's not perfect. They're going to think, okay, well, maybe they're pretty bad. Eight out of nine said they weren't perfect, right? You can't be doing that with Putin 
in this case either. Okay. He's a shithead. Hopefully, um, these inevitable right protests that come in the spring will see, you know, some more communist or at least left wing, um, empowerment in Russia. Um, hopefully this, this war comes to an end as soon as possible. But the fact of the matter is, is NATO agitate this now that it's happening. Um, if Ukraine does what they feel like is winning it, that's not going to secure peace for the, the population. The Nazis are going to go right after Russian speakers with, with more fervor. Right. And, and, you know, we have to push back on, on that's mo- our most important job is push back on U.S. imperialism and U.S. imperialist tactics. Correct. And that's the big boogaboo in the room, which is what are we here to do? What are we here to achieve? And that is push back against imperialism in all of its forms. Yes. yes. Whatever and, whatever and, form it takes, we are we are anti imperialist. Right. And in this particular case, the anti imperialist stance is to push back hard against the Western NATO backed narrative that is going on right now. Mm-hmm. And that is the pro let's all put blue and yellow flags in our in our avatars and let's all put blue and yellow flags in our yards stance of let's support the Ukraine. Yeah. I know nothing about the Ukraine. I know nothing about Russo Ukrainian politics, but I support the Ukraine now. Yeah. Well, because they're a democracy. Well, you got to remember too. Like again, Ukraine recently made speaking Russian illegal because of of, and this is stuff that that is overseen by Zelensky, who grew up. I mean, they talk about him being Jewish and having parents who died in the Holocaust. He also grew up as a Russian speaker. He didn't speak Ukrainian when he got elected. He had to learn to speak it, right? Um, in order for it to be banned. So, you know, I mean, he's full on in support of these these policies that are against people just like him. And, you know, so you can't let him get buffed up. You can't let the media deny the prominence of Nazis. Like, oh, it's only like one percent of the forces. And it's just it's Russian propaganda. And, oh, you're calling a, a Jewish president a Nazi and, and all that. And you can't you can't fall for that shit. You can't. You have to push back on that. You have to help other people understand that. Exactly. That being said, David, are there any other world events that you want to bring into the fold this week? Um, no, I mean, we may comment on some of the other ones, but people know what's going on with, with Red Hill and with laws in Texas and Florida and, and things like that. So um, there's also there's we a we talked about them last week. Yes, we talked about we them last week. We assume you only get your news from this goddamn <laughs> podcast. And if you're doing that, stop it. Go go read a newspaper or something else. Anything else. Don't get your news only from this podcast, goddammit. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get in the book? I would love to get in the book. That being said, we are starting in the middle of a chapter. You all remember what it is from the last episode? It is... In the labor field, for example, imperialism operates through labor arms like the Social Democratic Parties of Europe, led by British Labor... Led by the British Labor Party. And through such instruments as the International Confederation of Free Trade Unions, ICFTU, now apparently being suspended by the new Africa American Labor Center. If they would stop 
giving me words that were so hard, this would go quicker. Under AFL-CIO Chairman George Meany and the well-known CIA man in the labor's top echelon, Irving Brown. Yeah, and we, we all know, again, you know, the CIA is deeply embedded with AFL-CIO, and there is some history here. You know, I think it was... It was one of them. I can't remember if it was AFL or CIO. I think it was AFL before the merger started as like one of the largest white unions uh, when a lot of labor unions were black. And, and we saw the confrontations uh, that happened there and the harm of that. So, you know, AFL-CIO being the biggest labor union now uh, does a lot locally to help other labor unions get kind of up on their feet because a lot of people in there, of course, are pro-union and that's a good thing. But they are deeply entrenched with the CIA. They protect cop, quote unquote, unions. Um, and you see their role, you know, in imperialism now with this new African-American labor center um, and, and how it, it promotes imperialism. Exactly. In 1945, out of the euphoria of anti-fascist victory, the World Federation of Trade Unions has been formed, including all world labor except U.S. American Federation of Labor, AFL. By 1949, however, led by British Trade Union Congress, TUC, a number of pro-imperialist labor bodies in the West broke away from the WFTU over the issue of anti-colonialist liberation and set up the ICFTU. For 10 years, it continued under British TUC leadership. Its record in Africa, Asian, and Latin America could gratify only the big international monopolies, which were extracting super profits from these areas. In 1959, at Brussels, United States AFL-CIO Union Center fought for and won control of the ICFTU Executive Board. From then on, a flood of typewriters, mimograph machines, cars, supplies, buildings, salaries, and so it is still averred, outright bribes for labor leaders in various parts of the developing world rapidly linked ICFTU in the minds of the rank and file with the CIA, as it probably <laughs> should have. <laughs> yeah. People, people saw like what was going right on. To. Yeah, yeah. People saw what was going on. To such an extent did its prestige suffer under these American bosses that in 1964, the AFL-CIO brains felt it necessary to establish a fresh outfit. They set up the AALC in New York right across the river from the United Nations. So isn't it nice? Oh, hey, you know, this is a bad look. Um, let's do our first version of the NED. <laughs> and let's do it. And of course, you know, it was the African-American because they want to um, cover up what they're doing in Africa. Uh, among exactly. other continents, yeah. As a steadfast champion of national independence, democracy, and social justice, unblushingly stated at the April 1965 bulletin put out by the center, the AFL-CIO will strengthen its efforts to assist the advancement of economic conditions of African peoples. Right? Oh, we, we love independence and democracy and social justice. That's AFL-CIO loves that. That's why we're always in bed with the CIA. Um Toward this end, steps have been taken to expand assistance to the African free trade unions by organizing the African American Labor Center, which assistance will help African labor play a vital role in the economic and democratic upbuilding of their countries. The March issue of this bulletin, however, gave the game away. And mobilizing capital resources for investment in workers' education, vocational training, cooperatives, health clinics, and housing, the center will work with both private and public institutions. It will also encourage labor management cooperations to expand American capital investment in the African nations. 
The italics are mine. He italicized the expanding labor management of American capital and the African nations. Could anything be plainer? And no, it could not. No. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to fight for your right to be controlled by American capital. Um, mm-hmm. Following a pattern previously set by the ICFTU, it has already started classes, one for drivers and mechanics in Nigeria, one in tailoring in Kenya. Labor scholarships are being offered to Africans who want to study trade unionism in all of all places, Austria, ostensibly by Austrian unions. Elsewhere, labor organized into political parties of where the British Labor Party is a leading and typical example, has shown a similar aptitude for encouraging labor management cooperation to expand capital investment in African nations. But the struggle sharpens even these measures of neocolonialism are proving too mild. So Africa, Asia, and Latin America have begun to experience a round of coup d'etats, or would-be coups, together with a series of political assassinations which have destroyed their political primes in some of the way newly emerging the nation's best leaders. Or, I'm sorry, of the newly emerging nation's best leaders. To ensure success in these endeavors, the imperialists have made a widespread and widely use of ideological and cultural weapons in the form of intrigues, maneuvers, and slander campaigns. Gee, we never see that today. They don't no. slander. They don't slander anyone who stands in the way of capital. No. Uh, Some of these methods used by neocolonialists to slip past our guard must now be examined. The first is retention by the departing colonialists of various kinds of privileges which infringe on our sovereignty. That of setting up military bases or stationing troops in our former colonies and the supplying of advisors of one or the other. Sometimes a number of rights, quote-unquote, are demanded. Land concessions, prospecting rights for minerals and or soil and or oil and the right to collect customs to carry out administration to the issue of paper money, to be exempt from customs, duties, and or taxes for expatriate enterprises, and above all, the right to provide and aid. The right to provide aid is pretty telling because he talked... right to provide aid. Well, and he did talk about before how this quote-unquote aid is is not only creating dependency, but it comes with contracts that you know you have to buy back from you know america right like i'll give you 70 million dollars for your infrastructure but you have to spend all 70 million buying from american companies right you're just securing your business and your resource extraction and it's the only way you can do it yeah you would get no contract from anyone else Mm -hmm. also demanded and granted our privileges in the cultural field that Western information services be exclusive and that those from socialist countries be excluded. Oh, my God. Yeah, remember, this is Chapter 18, so this is detailing all of the ways neocolonialism works. It's all the ways that when, you know, you don't just have these uh, this aid and these these ties to corporations, you know, keeping stock from the same few people. But when you got to go in a little more, you know, when you got to got to throw a little cootie talk because they're not being good. When you're when you're securing these loans and by taking these loans, they have to take aid um, by sending out unions to fight for the right to be exploited, you know, to, to fight for the right for um, customs and duties to be relieved of these corporations from former colonizers um, while they give you aid to buy back from them. Exactly. 
Even the cinema stories of fabulous Hollywood are loaded. One only has to listen to the cheers of an African audience as Hollywood's heroes slaughter red Indians or Asiatics to understand the effectiveness of this weapon. For the developing of co- for the developing of this weapon, no. blah, blah, for in the developing, for in the developing continents where the colonialist heritage has left a vast majority still illiterate, even the smallest child gets the message. Contained in the blood and thunder stories emancipating from California. And along with the murder and the Wild West goes an incessant barrage of anti-socialist propaganda in which the trade union man, the revolutionary, or the man of dark skins generally is cast as the villain. While the policeman, the gumshoe, the federal agent, in a word, the CIA-type spy, is ever the hero. Here, truly, is the ideological underbelly of those political murders, which so often use local people as their instruments. So, again, you know, we've got explicit Hollywood propaganda, and it's something that, you know, we have to take seriously right i mean how many movies the marvel movies explicitly have cia heroes and intelligence agency heroes and they work with the fbi and they're they're you know stopping crime in in most you know comic books um you have like you said the hero gunshoe the hero investigator solving the mystery how many cop shows are on tv um and again any show anything consistently has an anti-socialist message and we've talked about that kind of propaganda basically our entire existence in the show because it's so prominent in every pore and so when these shows are exported to other countries that message stays the same that propaganda still exists they don't maybe get the same local news that's police stenography um, or the same politician speak but they get the same fiction you know down there exactly while Hollywood, While Hollywood ta- uh, nope, go ahead. While Hollywood takes care of fiction, the enormous monopoly press, together with the outflow of slick, clever, expensive magazines, attends to what it chooses to call news. Within separate countries, one or two news agencies control the news handouts so that a deadly uniformity is achieved, regardless of the number of separate newspapers or magazines, while internationally, the financial preponderance of the United States is felt more through its foreign correspondence and offices abroad, as well as through its influence over international capitalist journalism. Again, it could be 15 different channels, so they're all owned by the same company putting out the same message. What difference is it? You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Under this guise, a flood of anti-liberation propaganda emanates from the capital cities of the West, directed against China, Vietnam, Indonesia, Algeria, Ghana, and all countries which hack out their own independent path to freedom. Prejudice is ripe. For example, wherever there is an armed struggle against the forces of reaction, the nationalists are referred to as rebels, terrorists, or frequently communist terrorists. Perhaps one of the most insidious methods of the neocolonials is evangelism. Uh, following the liberation movement, there have been a veritable riptide of religious sects, the overwhelming majority of them American. Typical of these are Jehovah's Witnesses, who recently created trouble in certain developing countries by busily teaching their citizens not to salute the new national flags. Religion was too thin to smother the outcry that arose against this activity, and a temporary lull followed, but the number of evangelists continued to grow. 
Yet evangelism and the cinema are only two twigs on a much bigger tree. Dating from the end of 1961, the U.S. actively developed a huge ideological plan for invading so-called Third World, utilizing all its facilities and press and radio to Peace Corps. During 1962-63, a number of international conferences to this end were held in several places, such as Nicosia in Cyprus, San Jose in Costa Rica, and Lagos in Nigeria. Participants included the CIA, the U.S. Information Agency, the Pentagon, the International Development Agency, the Peace Corps, and others. Programs were drawn up, which included systematic use of U.S. citizens abroad in virtual intelligence activities and propaganda work. Methods of recruiting political agents and of forcing alliances with the USA were worked out. At the center of the programs lay the demand for an absolute U.S. monopoly in the field of propaganda, as well as for counteracting any independent efforts by developing states in the realm of information. The United States sought and still seeks, with considerable success, to coordinate on the basis of its own strategy the propaganda activities of all Western countries. In October 1961, the Conference of NATO countries was held in Rome to discuss problems of psychological warfare. It appealed for the organizations of combined ideological operations in Afro-Asian countries by all participants. In May and June 1962, a seminar was convened by the U.S. in Vienna on ideological warfare. It adopted a secret decision to engage in a propaganda offensive against developing countries along the lines laid down by the USA. It was agreed that NATO propaganda agencies would, in practice if not in the public eye, keep in close contact with U.S. embassies in their respective countries. So again, this is isolating that NATO is just a major U.S. extension. Exactly. Among instruments of such Western psychological wa- uh, warfare are outnumbered, or I'm sorry, are numbered the intelligence agencies of Western countries headed by those of the United States' invisible government. But most significant among them are the Moral Rearmament, the Peace Corps, and the United States Information Agency, USIA. Moral Rearmament is an organization founded in 1938 by the American Frank Buckman. In the last days before the Second World War, it advocated the appeasement of Hitler, often extolling Himmler, the Gestapo chief. In Africa, MRA incursions began at the end of World War II, against the big anti-colonial upsurge that followed the victory in 1945. MRA spent millions advocating collaboration between forces oppressing the African peoples and those peoples. It is not without significance that Moise Tshambi and Joseph Kasavubu of Congo, Leopoldville, are both MRA supporters. George Seldes, in his book 1000 Americans, characterized MRA as a fascist organization subsidized by fascists and with a long record of collaboration with fascists the world over. This description is supported by the active participation in MRA of people like General Carpentier, former commander of NATO land forces, and General Ho Ying Chin, one of Chiang Kai-shek's top generals. To cap this, several newspapers, some of them in the Western world, have claimed that MRA is actually subsidized by the CIA. And it wouldn't be shocking if they are, but at this point, it's not even important if they are. They're on the same side doing their own work. I must say... What does the what does the matter mean if they're not doing the same work? Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the CIA pays Nazis to, you know, keep up the good work and put 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 support behind police departments for them, but that they, they were already Nazis, <laughs> you know, exactly. 
When MRA's influence began to fail, some new instrument to cover the ideological arena was desired. It came in the establishment of the American Peace Corps in 1961 by President John Kennedy, with Sergeant Shriver Jr. and his brother-in-law in charge. Shriver, a millionaire who made his pile in land speculation in Chicago, was also known as the friend, confidant, and co-worker of the former head of the Central Intelligence Agency, Alan Dulles. These two had worked together in both the Office of Strategic Services, U.S. Wartime Intelligence Agency, and the CIA. So, goddamn, if you've been with Dulles since the OSS, that's a long time. I was about to say, if you've been with Dulles since the OSS, you're compromised and you're beyond. You're in. You're yeah. in forever. You you are the invisible government. Um Shriver's record makes a mockery of President Kennedy's alleged instruction to Shriver to keep the CIA out of the Peace Corps. So does the fact that although the Peace Corps four is advertised as a voluntary organization, it, all its members are carefully screened by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation. Since its creation in 1961, members of the Peace Corps have been exposed and expelled from many African, Middle Eastern, and Asian countries for the acts of subversion or prejudice. Indonesia, Tanzania, the Philippines, or even pro-West countries like Turkey and Iran. Boy, this is old if it thinks Iran is pro-West. That's how long this was. Before 79, of course, though. Exactly. Uh, have complained of its activities. However, perhaps... However, the- perhaps the chief executor of U.S. psychological warfare is the United States Information Agency, USIA. Even for the wealthiest nation on Earth, the U.S. lavishes an unusual amount of men, materials, and money on the vehicle for its neocolonial arms. The USIA is staffed by persons to the tune of more than $130 million a year. It has more than 70 editorial staffs working on publications abroad. Of its network comprising 110 radio stations, 60 are outside the United States. Programs are broadcast for African by American stations in Morocco, Etruria, Liberia, Crato, and Barcelona, Spain, as well as off as well as from offshore stations on American ships in African shore in Africa alone. The USIA transmits about 30 territorial and national radio programs whose content glorifies the U.S. while attempting to discredit countries with an independent foreign policy. This is, and and I, I, I want to stop here. Okay. For anyone that doesn't know, when you're when you're reading things online right now, this is, and David Crockett and I'm wrong. Radio Free Asia, yeah. Radio Free Europe, Radio Free Anything is an ex is a, is a is an offshoot of these programs. Yeah. Um, let me see real quick. Radio Free Europe was the first one, and I think it might have predated this. Um, it very well may. Oh, oh, yeah. Very likely may have predated this. Like this, this is. And again, this is. One it of came from 1949. Where I'm putting David on the spot and telling David like research a thing right now while I'm telling him this. Well, I was going to say but, my my instinct was Radio Free Europe's the first one, okay? Because it was that was in Eastern Europe, and that one was formed in 1949. So that would have been before the USIA, which would have been. Let's see, that was Kennedy days. That would have been the 60s. Let's see. When it would have been formed, formed 1953. 
So Radio Free Europe predated this. Uh, that said, I think you are correct. All of the other Radio Frees, Radio Free Asia, Radio Free um, Africa, all of those, uh, I think, come from this um, USIA. Um, either way, they're an extension of U.S. intelligence. I mean, they're, they're explicitly bankrolled by the NED and the CIA. Um, they're, I mean, just made for U.S. propaganda. Exactly. The USIA boasts more than 120 branches in about 120 countries, 50 of which are in Africa alone. It uh, has 250 centers in foreign countries, each of which is each of which is usually associated with an AG library. It employs about 200 cinemas and eight. Thousand projectors, which draw upon it nearly 300 film libraries. This agency is directed by a central body, which operates in the name of the U.S. President, planning, coordinating its activities in close touch with the Pentagon, CIA, and other Cold War agencies, including even armed force intelligence centers. In developing countries, the USIA actively tries to prevent expansion of national media of information so as to itself to capture the marketplace of ideas. It spends huge sums for publications and distributions of about 60 newspapers and magazines in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. By the way, I do like uh, the, the turn of phrase to capture the marketplace of ideas because, you know, always, of course, in business, you want to capture the market, capture the market. But the idea of the, the marketplace of ideas is this very idealistic, like everybody comes with ideas and, and goes for the debate. And so that's a, that's a good way to take a materialist analysis and, and, and flip that marketplace of ideas on its head with a, a materialist idea kind of in one sentence by saying capture the marketplace of idea. If you own all of the debate, if you capture that market, no one can disagree. Exactly. The American government backs the USIA through direct pressures on developing nations. To ensure its agency a complete monopoly in propaganda, for instance, many agreements for economic cooperation offered by the U.S. include a demand that Americans be granted preferential rights to disseminate information. That doesn't sound yeah, hey, ominous well, at all. Hey, you're three billion in debt and you're about to go under as a country? Tell you what, we'll give you a $400 million loan just to save your country, but uh, we have to own all your media. So, yeah. At the same time, in trying to close the new nations to other sources of information, it employs other pressures. For instance, after agreeing to set up USIA information centers in their countries, both Togo and Congo, Leopoldville, originally hoped to follow a non-aligned path and permit Russian information as a balance. But Washington threatened to stop all aid, therefore forcing these two countries to renounce their plan. Once again, why you can't be neutral on a moving train. Exactly. Unbiased studies of the USIA by such authorities as Dr. R. Holt of Princeton University, uh, retired Colonel R. Vanderveld, former intelligence agents Merle Dare, William Dizzard, and others have all called attention to the close ties between this agency and the U.S. intelligence. For example, 
Deputy Director Donald M. Wilson was a political intelligence agent in the U.S. Army. Assistant Director for Europe, Joseph Phillips was a successful espionage agent in several Eastern European countries. So again, this USAIA is just run by intelligence people, top to bottom. It it's, is it's entire it's entirely it's, CIA. It's, yeah, it's it's for intelligence. It's entirely CIA, and it, it it doesn't really matter because it's still doing that job. But why the hell not? Right? <laughs> they all are exactly. Uh, some, some USAIA directors further expose its nature as a top intelligence arm of the U.S. imperialists. In the first phase, it is expected to analyze the situation in each country making recommendations to its embassy, thereby, thereby to its government, about changes that can tip local balances in U.S. favor. Secondly, it organizes networks of monitors for radio broadcasts and telephone conversations while recruiting informers from government offices. It also hires to distribute U.S. propaganda. Thirdly, it collects secret information with special reference to defense and economy as a means of eliminating its international military and economic competitors. Fourthly, it buys its way into local publications to influence these policies of which Latin America further furnishes numerous examples. It has been active in briefing public figures, for example, in Kenya and Tunisia. Finally, it finances, directs, and often with arms all anti-neutralist forces in developing countries, which is Tusamba in Congoville, Leopold, and Pak Hongshi in South Korea. In a word, which virtually unli- with virtually unlimited finances, there seems to be no bounds to the inventiveness in its subversion. Yeah, so it's buying up all the media, it's buying up all the politicians, it's recruiting people, it's buying up all the equipment. Um, basically, if you own everything, physical and human, top to bottom, that is in power, you have all of the power. And they get to keep exactly. just throwing money at the problem, because they have so much. Exactly. One of the- next week, oh. next week, readers, we will finish this book, not this chapter. You may have been confused, but we will finish this book and we will be moving on to our next work, which you all know is Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. But we will be we will be moving on in the next couple weeks. Give us a week or two in between to research and 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 get ready for but but that is the next the next chapter on our journey um that being said this is mark's madness pod there are a number of different ways to reach out to us uh one of which is through our email address our email address is mark's madness pod at gmail.com the next way you can reach out to us, if you choose to not use email, is through Twitter. And why are you using Twitter and not email? I don't know. But if you are, our Twitter, you know, handle is at Mark's Madness Pod. We're we're there. We're we're posting and retweeting occasionally. And then the next way you can reach out to us is through our Discord server. Our Discord server is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. We're, we're linked in our Twitter bio. Um, you can also email us directly at Mark's Madness Pod, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com for that link. 
But if you wanted more information, you could reach out to us there. And Discord is just a easier way for us to get to you. Uh, it, it's it's a more day to day way way for us to reach out to people. It's it's the place that I hang out most often. I'll get DMs if you get there. So it's it's very obvious if you are there or not. Um, David, that being said, there is a disclaimer that we do in every episode, and I would like you to disclaim us now. Yeah, so uh, obviously this is a show where me and Nathan, Nathan came to me one day and was like, I'm reading Capital. You want to read philosophy with other people, philosophy in history. You want to do that, by the way. And you've read Capital before. Uh, why don't we read it together? And then we thought, man, two's a small reading group. We should record this. And if it doesn't suck too much, we'll put it out there and we'll have you guys join us. And lo and behold, it wasn't too bad. And we started editing it up and putting it out there. And ever since then, what our uh, idea was, was that hopefully you're out there in your group and your party and your organizing, um, you're uh, doing a reading group or political education group along with it. And whatever that reading or political education group is, hopefully we can be reading it along with you, giving you another point of context, giving you another voice, another perspective uh, to help you remember it, soak it in, understand it, apply it to your life and, and make it mean the most to you. Um, let's say that's not happening. Let's say your group's reading something shorter or something more applicable to a project that's being worked on uh, and you are reading this on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group. Again, slow you down, make you refresh the, the uh, text a little bit, uh, give you another perspective, give you some more context behind it so that you can understand what it means to you and understand the work fully. And let's say that's not happening. Let's say um, whether it's a book like this where we're essentially enhanced ebook for you uh, or a book that we summarize more and become more of a, a specialized cliff notes, whatever it is we can do to make these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions. Anytime you put those works into revolutionary action, that's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, by definition, cannot exist without theory and theory is completely useless without being put into praxis. Again, hand in hand they are tied at the hip amen as always that being said this has been mark's madness pod we read books my name is nathan my name's david and we will talk to y'all next week bye bye